Welcome to River City Church Podcast. We're glad you're listening. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co. Hebrews chapter 3. Last week I, I took you through several things. Jesus is better than you think. Uh, he provides us a better hope. He provides us a better kingdom, a better covenant, a better relationship. Uh, all of those things that we saw last week through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews uh, gives us a lot of sweeping themes through the Bible. Hebrews was written by uh, an unknown author. Of course, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Some believe it was the Apostle Paul. Uh, that's kind of my opinion personally, and I, I won't get into why tonight. But, uh, but it's written by one of the apostles. It's written to the church, and it's primarily written to believers who were Jewish uh, believers. And so he highlights and contrasts several things from the Old Testament and points to how Jesus is the fulfillment, and Jesus provides something better. Jesus provides something better in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. And so uh, tonight, the, the subtitle, if you're taking notes, is uh, ear piercing. So we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Ear piercing. So... Some of you are like, where are you going with that? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, my daughter got her ears pierced, um, and it was my apology, because how old was she? Was she three years old? She was three. Now, we had kind of waited, because we were, you know, it was kind of like that parent thing, like you're just not sure if you're ready to have your, our only daughter, uh, get her ears pierced right away, and so we're, you know, trying to, like, as a dad, I'm like, don't hurt my baby, you know, so I'm, I'm getting ready for that conversation, but I kind of had to, because uh, I was watching her, as, as dads sometimes do by themselves, and, and we're much uh, how do I say this? I'm not as well equipped to uh, supervise as my wife is. Um, and so my daughter decides that she needs to get a haircut. She didn't like her bangs. And at the age of three years old, while I was watching her, uh, I say watching, I, would, that, I use that term loosely, uh, it was very quiet. And I was enjoying the quiet for a few moments. She decided to chop off about half of her hair. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, my apology f- for, to my wife was, well, she can get her ear spears. <laughs> Don't know what that has to do with the message. Let's get on this. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, who is kind of the preeminent figure of the Old Testament, the writer of the first five books of the Bible, and so, of course, held in high esteem by the Jews and by Israel. So, so here the writer is pointing to how Christ Jesus is greater than, of course, Moses. Uh, And so here's what what it says, verse 3. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. For a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, the church, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, this is what we're going to focus on tonight. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit has said today, everybody say today. today. Today, if you'll hear his voice. 
Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, pointing back to the days of Moses when Israel was led out of Egypt, led out of, uh, of 430 years of slavery, set free by God's power, and brought through the wilderness, through the desert, and God intending to bring them into the promised land. But an entire generation saved two people, Joshua and Caleb, an entire generation missed what God had prepared. And the reason we're going to see right here, he says that don't harden your hearts like they did. He, God describes it as a rebellion. In the day of trial or testing in the wilderness. So here's the point. He says today, don't harden your heart. Today, hear his voice. And of course, he's pointing to, you know, this whole theme of the book of Hebrews is putting trust in Jesus, that he's, the, he's our high priest. He's both priest and sacrifice. He brings a better covenant with better promises. He establishes a better kingdom. We saw all that last week. But, but here's the picture, that for us as believers, the Christian life is, at the heart of it, is a relationship with Christ. And a relationship requires communication. Anybody married for a couple years and you found out you got to communicate? And you got to get better at it every year. Uh, it's not enough to just, you know, my wife and I, after 14 years of marriage, which, you know, in, in 14 years I've gotten to know that she communicates not just with words. Like I got some looks when my daughter had to cut her hair off. I tried to get ahead of it. I called her and I said, hey, uh, honey, I know you're out having, you know, time to yourself because I, I wanted you to have that. But um, let me tell you what your daughter did. Anybody ever do that? Your daughter, like, it wasn't your fault. When, when they're three years old and they cut their own hair, it's your fault. Okay. But, but let me just say this. So, so God's word points to the reality and the importance of relationship. And at the heart of relationship is communication. Now, of course, prayer is our talking to God. But prayer is not just a monologue of me reading off a list to God of my prayer needs. But it's also receiving from God. It's hearing from God. It's listening, taking time, both through his word. I'm going to talk about the word a lot on Sunday, being transformed by God's word. But I want us to catch this because as God's people, this is so important that we learn to recognize God wants to talk today. He didn't just talk yesterday, and we know what he's going to do because of what his word promises, but God wants to lead you today. The Christian life is about following Jesus. So I've got uh, two points tonight. The first one comes from this idea, and we just sang about this a moment ago, but religion becomes lifeless, oppressive, and even burdensome, burdensomely traditional, when it tries to be sustained by something God did or said in the past. Our lives are the same way. So, so Jesus in the wilderness is tempted for 40 days, you know, after 40 days, the devil comes to tempt him and he brings three temptations. And one of those is he says, you know, you're hungry. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. Uh, I don't, you know, some of us, we fast for like five minutes and we're ready to kill somebody. <laughs> Jesus is fasting for 40 days. And at the end of 40 days, he's physically, because he's the son of God, became the son of man. He's fully God, but also fully man. And so he's physically weakened and in a vulnerable place. But that's why the enemy tries to tempt him. And, and the enemy's first temptation is, see these stones, command them to become bread. And Jesus answers him and overcomes the enemy with, it's written. 
This is what God's word says. But then he tells him, he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, he does it all three times. Jesus overcomes with the book of Deuteronomy. Imagine what you and I could do with 66 books if the devil could get beaten up with the book of Deuteronomy. So Jesus quotes, but here's what he says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, so Jesus says what sustains is not just, you know, eating bread, which feeds your body, but what feeds your spirit, what feeds your soul is a word from God. And so point number one is this, we thrive by hearing God's word for today. We thrive by hearing God's word for today. In Exodus 16, when Moses led them out at God's direction out of Egypt, one of the first things that happens in the wilderness is they get hungry. They realize they have no food because there's no, you know, Hy-Vee or uh, no grocery store to go to. So they, they don't know, you know, how are we going to, you know, it's not like they can settle down and farm or plant, you know, crops. They're actually in the desert. And so the only way they can have food, and there's, you know, I think something like a million to two million people. The only way they can eat every day is God has to sustain them. So it says, when the children of Israel, here's what, what God says, I'm going to provide for you food from heaven. So it's this amazing miracle. For 40 years, God provides food every day. And here's what happens. They, they get up in the morning, and they see this food on the ground, and it's, it's called manna. But it, this is, I, I love the story of, of where manna comes from. Verse 15. So the children of Israel saw this stuff that God provided from heaven, and their, their response was this. What is it? What is it? Has God ever begun something in your life and, and you don't know how to describe what's happening? What is it, God? What are you trying to do in me? What are you trying to teach me? What is it? And, and watch this. For they didn't know what it was. Do you know being a believer doesn't mean being an understander all the time? But it does mean that we trust and we can trust the one who's leading us. And so what is it? They don't know what it is that God's provided. You know, it, it didn't come wrapped up in a Big Mac package. It, it, it was something they had never seen before. And sometimes God will use new things that you haven't seen before to sustain you in the season you're in. Sometimes God will give you a new word for this day that you need. You know, God, you, listen, you may have been going through a storm, going through difficult season. God gave you a promise. God gave you a word that helped you through that season. But you can't live off of yesterday's word. Because the man is on the ground. And here's what God told them. He said, you've got to gather every day. Go out and gather the man on the ground. That's actually what manna means. What is it? Like, it's not some deep, you know, Hebrew meaning. It literally means what is it? manna. And so so that's what they call it. And so they gather the manna, but the problem is, is they are only able to gather for each day what they need. And, and God actually told them, he says, if you gather it and try to store it for tomorrow, it'll actually turn rotten. And so this manna that's sweet to the taste, that, that nourishes and strengthens and provides, and it's supernatural and it comes from heaven, this thing, I, you know, I like Italian food. I'm going to make somebody hungry tonight. My favorite thing at an Italian restaurant is the bread. I know I come for an entree, but I really like the bread. And there's nothing like hot, baked, fresh bread on the table. And, and I always, you know, if I go to like one of my favorite restaurants, I don't know if they have them in Iowa, I haven't seen one yet, but Carrabba's or you've got Olive Garden, you know those places like, I, I love all the meals, but I, I love 
bread. And so when the waitress brings out like one basket of bread, I let her know, you're coming back with more, right? Because one's not going to cut it. But, but here's the thing. You've got to have fresh manna every day. So they're gathering it. You, and, and, and to sustain them for the journey, they had to gather it every day. And the point of this is it's a picture of what we have in God's word today as a believer. In relationship with God, we've got the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to lead us. You've got the author of the book. We've got the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. We've got God's word. And every day we can feed because there's manna from heaven God wants to feed our soul with. He says, man doesn't live by bread alone. What strengthens your life, what sustains your faith, what keeps you strong in every season is a steady diet of God's word. And, 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 and having the Holy Spirit speak to your heart in relationship. So, so we've got to catch this. So uh, let's, we can't have stale bread Every, this is Matthew 4, 4, I just referenced that. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. Not preceded, but proceeds. So this is important because sometimes we live off of, it's easy to live off of what God showed you. Instead of recognizing God has something for today. He wants to teach you today. Why is that important? Because God is actually after relationship, not just relief. God's after more than just rescuing me from my season or my problem or my pain, but instead actually drawing me into a relationship where he sustains me. Give us day by day our daily bread. And, and what God gives you today isn't going to be enough for tomorrow, but it is enough for today. And, and I think, you know, you, you see this with people that have lived in poverty if you've ever been yourself in a season of, of lack, so my grandmother just passed away two weeks ago. She was born in the Great Depression. And so she grew up, she grew up in, an, in a family that had been shaped. They, they actually had also, they came to the United States fleeing from basically a genocide. And so, so they come to the United States, they come during the, around the Great Depression, and while they're here, they're in tremendous lack. And because of that, I remember as a little kid, my, my parents took me and my grandma to, I was six years old, we went to Hawaii, uh, Maui in particular. So we go to Maui and we stay at this really nice hotel that has the first experience I've ever had of a buffet. And so every morning, we go to the buffet and we load up and we eat and we get totally stuffed because it's all you can eat. It's already been paid for. <laughs> and so, so as a kid, I'm eating, you know, I want all the sugar, I want all the stuff. My grandma does something I've never seen before. I, I don't know if I should say this, since she's now with Jesus, but she starts loading her purse <laughs> with anything that she can carry. Like, we're going to take apples, and we're going to take, like, load it up so that she can carry it and sneak it back up to the hotel room. She, she, she had been raised with lack. 
And because of that, she was raised with a mindset that, that I've, got to, I've got to hold on to something. I've got to store up because there won't be enough later. But guess what? The buffet gets reset in the morning. And they got a whole new set of food. And it's fresh for the day. Do you know God's no less good in our lives? He has what you need today. That's so why he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got its own trouble. But today, seek first the kingdom and I'll take care of you. Today, I'll take care of what you need. 2 Kings 18, verse 4, is, is really interesting to me. It's a, if you've ever, I know we've got a few people that work in the medical profession and, and at least we're all familiar with, kind of the symbol for the medical field is a rod with two serpents on it. And, and most people don't know that's a biblical symbol. And it comes from a season where Israel, under a curse, is experiencing a plague. And Moses cries out to God on behalf of his people. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a bronze serpent. Oh, no, let me back up. The, the, the curse wasn't just a plague. It was serpents in this particular one. There were serpents on the ground, and they were, I think, something like 10,000 people died. And so he says, take the thing that's the curse. They take a bronze serpent, and he says, put it on a pole and raise that pole up. And walk through the camp of Israel. And as you're walking through the camp, as people look at the pole, look at the cursed thing that's nailed to the pole that's raised up, they'll be healed. And they'll be protected. So that's why that's become a symbol in medicine. But here's, here's, here's the, the picture. The reason why that was done in the Old Testament was it was going to foreshadow Jesus who would take our curse and take our sin and he'd be nailed to a tree. And, and, and as we look to him, we're saved, healed, made whole. But, but here's, here's the picture. Over some time, this actual, <laughs> the bronze serpent, the thing that God used to deliver Israel from that curse became something that actually became a substitute for God. The method took the place of relationship. Let's look at this, 2 Kings 18.4. Generations later, a reformer comes, and it says he removes the high places of worship, of idols and, and other gods, and he breaks down sacred pillars. These are things dedicated to false gods. And he cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces, listen to this, the bronze serpent that Moses had made. So, so generations later, people have begun to worship this. Watch what it says. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it. So, so the thing that God used actually became an object of worship. And this is why this is important, because as the church, we have to be really careful that we don't make sacred the method that God uses for the season. A lot of us, for, you know, when, when we, God changes the method of how he's growing us and how he's leading us and maybe how he's even speaking to us, we get messed up. We stop growing because we want him to do it the way he did it before. <laughs> it 
and we get stuck on certain things. And I wish it was like the good old days. <laughs> Listen, the message never changes, but the methods always change. You know, church in 20 years, as my kids become leaders, as my kids grow, is going to look different. And I'm going to be probably saying, I wish they would play Hillsong like they used to. (laughs) See, sometimes we expect old methods to produce new results. Old habits to produce new results. But this is the thing we have to catch. We have to live in dependence upon God, not the method. All right. Point number two. All you need for anything in your life to change is just one word from God. All you need for anything to change in your life is just one word from God. David has the greatest setback of his life up to this point. Keep, keep that slide up for a minute, for anybody taking notes. He has the greatest setback of his life. Everything's taken from him. He's off to battle, and while he's off to battle, another enemy comes and takes away everything from his home. All of his soldiers, everything they have, all their wives, their children, their possessions, everything taken. And David has one of the lowest points If you know the story, it says he encouraged himself, strengthened himself in the Lord. And and David overcame the greatest setback, the thing that could have taken him out. But I want you to catch this because David, after he strengthens himself in God, after he gets himself out of the pit by focusing on God, some of us need to do that. We got to get out of the pit. We got to get out of the place of self-pity of fear, of shame. We've got to be strengthened in God. We've got to stir ourselves. Sometimes when you don't have somebody else to encourage you, you've got to encourage yourself. And David gets himself strengthened in God enough to the point where here's what he says. 1 Samuel 30, verse 7. David calls for the priest. He says, bring me the ephod. Now, the ephod doesn't mean anything to most of us. But it was how, in the Old Testament, people would get the counsel of God. Because they didn't have, every believer, every person in Israel didn't have the Holy Spirit. And so, they had to consult the high priest who had this ephod. And it was believed to be something that would kind of be like, our comparison would be like a green light, red light. (laughs) It would actually have these stones in it that would glow based on God's direction. Now, I thank God that we don't have to live with, we don't have to all go find the high priest somewhere. You've got God's word, and you've got Jesus. You've got the Holy Spirit. So if you need direction, go to Jesus. Okay, y'all with me? Okay, three of you are. But I want you to catch this. David, says, bring me the ephod. What do I do? Do I go after this enemy that just stole everything? Do, do I fight this fight? 
Now, for some of us, it's obvious. Yeah, why wouldn't you? But David had a lot of success in his life, and it was always tied to this one simple truth. He only got engaged in the fights that God was in. And if you only fight God's fights, you're guaranteed to win. <laughs> you know, I've, I've tried to fight my own fights. Didn't work out so good. He's, shall I overtake this troop? Shall I, shall I pursue them? God's answer to him is pursue. He gets a word from God. Pursue, you'll overtake them, and without fail, recover all. See, we don't need everybody to understand, everybody to like God's direction in our life. We just need to hear from God. Come on, I, I, I've, this, is, this is what's kept my wife and I and, and, and all that we've been called to over the years. It's what's kept it moving. It's, it's what we live by. Because I found out a long time ago, people's ideas are great, God's word's better. People's advice is good, God's word's even better. And, and I, could, I could take a poll of whether or not a lot of people think certain things would work or not work or, you know, but at the end of the day, I need to hear from God and so do you. You need to hear from God for your kids, for your spouse, for your business. I remember years ago, my wife and I were praying about a, a transition. I had just gone into full-time ministry from, I think I worked in a nonprofit, a secular nonprofit, but so I still take, took a pay cut, which is funny. And, uh, and so, so probably made the least amount of money in my entire life, but I, I took the step of faith because this was God's direction. And while I went into full-time ministry, my wife's praying about some things with our schedule. We would, uh, we ran buses to a poor neighborhood in Phoenix and picked up kids for church every week. That was our ministry. We'd share Jesus, take food to people on Saturday. We'd bring him into church on Sunday. And there were some issues with our schedule where my wife, she worked at, some of you remember in 2007, something happened in the world, global real estate issue. Well, it just so happened my wife worked for the largest mortgage lender in the entire country. <laughs> Great place to work at the time. They would literally take half of the staff into one room and half of the staff into the other room. One room would get fired and the other room would be kept in the room until the other people cleared their desks. So, so my wife's praying through this season and a job opens up, but the position would require her to work weekends where she could no longer serve and help me in ministry. And so we're, we're praying about it and neither one of us felt peace about it. Let me, let me say this too. The other thing about it was she had to make a decision like that day. Like, here's an opportunity. You better go for it. I think it might have been more money. I don't remember what the case was. But, but while that's going on, you know, this looks like an opportunity. They're actually creating a position. And you think, well, all these other people are getting fired. At least there's some security with this new job. So, but we both pray about it and just don't feel peace about it. That's, that's the voice of God. It's the green light when you have peace. It's the red light when you have no peace. 
you're praying, you're saying, God, I want your will, I want your direction, and you don't feel peace about it, don't move on it. So, so a couple days goes by. We think we missed an opportunity. And she gets a call one day. They say, we're actually going to move you to a different position. Not the one that we didn't feel peace about. They moved her to a third position. I know it's kind of hard to follow the bouncing ball, but they moved her to this third position, and over the next couple months, they closed her old job and the job she would have gotten. And the only job that was left is the one they moved her to. And it had a schedule where she could still serve in ministry. <laughs> see, see, God knows how to make things work. That's why we go based on what his word says. Do you know what was really going on at the time? Is my wife led a prayer group. At every lunch break, she was out there praying with, with coworkers. God was using her to bring a move of God in the midst of a pretty crazy situation. So, all right. Ear piercing. Let me give you that. Deuteronomy 15, then we're going to close. Jason, if you want to get ready. Deuteronomy 15. In the Old Testament, there was a, a, a system of paying off your debt where someone would become a bondservant. And, and the idea was to pay off your debt, you would go and work for somebody as a servant. But not, you know, it, it could become slavery, but what God did was he required Israel after seven years that every person who was in debt would be released from their debt. Every seven years, people had to be set free. And so there was a system in place and there, there was also the, the year of Jubilee every 70 years where lands that had been lost because of debt would be restored. So if a family had lost something, God would restore that land back to that family line. So, so God had a redemptive thing because in other cultures that was not the case. But here's, here's what I want you to catch in Deuteronomy 15. If somebody was joined to someone to pay off their debt, but then after their, their time was up and they were released... If they decided it was better for me to be joined in my life to this person, they would take them, and watch, watch this, Deuteronomy 15, 16. If it happens, this bondservant says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you, loves your house, since he prospers with you. Then you will take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door. That's the ear piercing. And he will be your servant forever. Also to your female servants. What would happen? These servants who willingly join themselves because of what they had received in benefit became marked. And they were marked by their ear. They were marked in their ear and everyone who saw them saw somebody who had willingly join themselves. Let's bring this to the New Testament. Romans 1.1. 1, 1. Paul says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus and an apostle sent by Christ. But the first thing Paul highlights in his list of, I'll say, his resume, his titles, 
isn't that he's an apostle. That comes second. He says, the thing that I want you to know first and foremost about my life is that I've been marked because I've encountered Jesus and he's worth joining my life to. The sheep heard the shepherd's voice. The thing that marks a follower of Christ is they've not only received forgiveness and freedom and salvation, but they've willingly followed and said, I want to be joined to you whether I understand it all or not. (laughs) Where you lead, I will follow. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. You, You change the method, okay, God, what do you want to do now? You give me a new word today, but I'm joined to you. (laughs) I think God's looking to mark some people tonight. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. One day, one day Jesus says something very seeker sensitive. He, He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then he never explains communion. (laughs) Jesus says to a crowd of people who would be offended by what he's about to say. Aside from the weird factor, he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He doesn't describe him offering his body on the cross or him pouring out his blood on the cross for our salvation. He doesn't do any of that. He just says that. And all of a sudden, all the crowd of people who've been around Jesus start to whittle away because they go, I didn't sign up for this. This is weird. (laughs) You know, it was one thing when he gave, you know, multiplied the loaves and the fish. We like that. Jesus do more of that stuff. We liked when he opened the deaf ears and opened blind eyes, but, but now you're saying stuff that doesn't make sense, Jesus. You're doing things different. And so the crowd begins to leave. But Jesus never built a crowd. He builds a church. And the crowd leaves. But there's a few guys, including Peter, who've been marked. Jesus comes to Peter and says, are you going to leave too? I just love Jesus. Like he, he, was never, he doesn't take a vote on his word. C- come on, church. He, he doesn't see if it's popular or if it makes sense to the culture, because his, Peter says, where else do I have to go? I don't get what you just said either. Peter says, I don't get it. But where else do I have to go? I've been marked. You're the only one who's got the words of life. That's what he says to him. So I, I found something with you, Jesus, that nothing in the world can satisfy Father, I thank you that, God, you've marked us. You've called us. You've purposed goodness on our behalf. And, God, I thank you for every person in this room that you love them. Jesus died on the cross for us.
to be forgiven, to be whole. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co.